actually what I would like to do is finally get around to doing my Middle Earth saga special um, with The Hobbit oh. and Lord of the Rings. So, and that's oh, going to take a while to watch through again because they're a bit longer than ninety minutes each. I'm not going to lie. I remember, and uh, do you know what? I'll 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 start here. Actually, this will be a good point. So we, we've just been chatting for a few minutes. Welcome to Kino Kingdom episode seventy. That's uh, roughly we worked at one hundred and forty to one hundred and fifty hours of us saying that Albert Pian is yet to make a good film, and it looks like that. And it looks like that's not going to happen from now on, uh, apart from Cyborg. Um, uh, yeah, just and just, man. just about talking about Lord of the. We need to reassess his back catalogue really on Reddit. Yeah. Um, his uh, so yeah, Lord of the Rings. You were talking about uh, when I when I first watched the when the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I'm guessing it was like around the 2000 mark, wasn't it? It was. It was around I think the first film. one was, it was 2001 to 2003, basically. Yeah. I um, so it must have been how old was I? Yeah, that would work out. I was working on the Elves of Silly, and then my friend must have had them in like a DVD box set. <clears throat> and so we're working in the catering industry, you know, the hotel industry. I was just a kitchen porter, um, and my friend was a chef and he said it's my birthday where the plan was to go at boozing all day <laughs> it's a simple plan Ruben, i didn't even write it down to check what we were doing yeah, <laughs> really just, i think i can roll See, with, roll with the punches today didn't have a printed itinerary for that one yeah there was also a fruit machine over there uh, a sonic spinner that if you got to a certain feature on it and held in all the buttons it just paid out the jackpot twice so people would just That's go there amazing. do that and then go out with that I'd, I'd love to have a sonic fruit anyway so i'm getting sidetracked so he said I'm going to be working, but I'm working a full 12 hour shift. So we'll have to go drinking instead of like, instead of like going out at like nine or 10 in the morning yeah. for it. He's like, oh, we'll be, I'll try to finish at like six or seven. So yeah. I just sat there watching in his room, this awful dingy <laughs> staff, staff lodge, just watched Lord of the Rings sat on like a stool with no back. <laughs> oh, okay. just staring at like a 14 inch crt watching lord of the rings it could even be vhs and i remember he had a bed that was held up by like a paint can like it, it, just a paint can underneath it so he was just working i was just like and because i worked in the hotel i got there and every now and again and buy like a beer to bring it back or like got for lunch and stuff so i watched all three yeah. lord of the rings films and he and it was just it was just too much in one go in one day <laughs> so, I'm, no i mean i don't see how that whole situation wasn't conducive to the majesty it, of Middle Earth, to be honest. Basically, he he came back and like he was finished at like six or seven, just as the third film was like on its way out. He was like, "Quick!" and he changed it to his chef white. He was in his chef white, sorry, and he said to me, "I know what I'll do to catch up with you because you had a few beers. I'll just drink this." And he had a bottle of vodka in his hand, and he and he literally just started glugging it right like <laughs> and i said okay i'm gonna go for a pee i'll be back and we'll go out then get changed and i went up for a pee and i came back and he was completely naked and he was instantly like beyond drunk if you know what i mean <laughs> and then he was like oh, oh, oh. and i said all oh, right this day hasn't worked out quite as i planned and he fell backwards on his bed and completely sparked out and the and when he fell on his bed the paint can that was holding his bed up just oh, burst oh, oh. and a load of blue paint went everywhere and i just said <laughs> i'm i'm gonna bed <laughs> And I just went home, back to my chalet. And I thought... I'm watching so all the rings again. I watched all the rings again to get a fuller... But that was my... That was my... That's the only time I've ever watched all the rings. So wow. I, remember, I remember like a big spider. And I remember bits and pieces of it. Yeah. So I'll be really intrigued to... Shut up. Um, yeah, so... But it, when it's you were mentioning how... You know, you're watching it on like a 14-inch CRT. And possibly on VHS. I don't know. Or maybe the original DVDs. Anyway, it, it's like... When people complain about 
filmmakers quite often complain about people like watch in, in the modern age watching films on like a, a mobile on phone their, on their phones and, yeah right? and, and like oh no you know it's like a postage stamp they clearly never watched a film on vhs on a 14 inch crt like because a phone has got like can have like ultra hd it can have beautiful hdr lighting and stuff like that and you can hold it you know close enough to your face that you can make out every detail right yeah. You cannot do that with a CRT. You cannot see anything. It's like the whole thing, the whole film is smeared in Vaseline. It's awful. So the, it's no the, the, the thing is, the closer you get to your phone, the crisper everything is. But the closer you get to a CRT, the more you can just make out each individual pixel. It's the yeah, more, just yeah, yeah. The more you can, make, more that you can make out like tiny sections of your eye just bursting and being permanently damaged. It just if you go really close to a CRT, if you get close enough, it basically your vision just turns into like a mid nineties grunge video, <laughs> where it's just like people's eyes darting around and and just like flashes of light. Yeah. My third album. Um. So anyway, but we're not talking about Lord of the Rings today. No, we but I, I I I just realised that I I forgot to to add th- to I forgot to add two films to my list, which tells you all you need to know about them really. Wow. Um. Sorry, so I'll just be two seconds. And was it? Yeah. Cool. Sorry, I've done that now. Um, yeah, I, I just um, I wanted to do a little shout out as well because I got sent. I know we we used to do long term listeners will know we do state of play as well, which is a, a conversation about video games. But that's kind of just where the the, the Kino Kingdom side has taken over. That's been pushed to the, to the wayside. But in a kind of tie into that. I got sent a, a vinyl to review, which for Games Freezer, who who I write for, and it was called Alcatraz Odyssey. And I'm springing this on you, Rupert, because I know you're the same age as me, and you're also an, an Amiga Amigaite. Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? We can get a two-hour comedy. We can get a two-hour <laughs> world tour out of this. Supporting Michael McIntyre, running around shouting, "Do you remember?" Um, and well, we skip or something. Oh my God, it's so eclectic. No, it's just a lot of bollocks, actually. Let's be careful, people. Just a warning for everyone. If anyone introduces you to a friend that they describe as random, means they're a prick. I'm just going to save you time. Um. So yeah, this uh, it, it's a you know the crack screens where it would be like wavy sort of text, yeah. sort of crystal or whatever, crystallis, yes. and then fair, fair, fair light. Banging music and and then you F one yeah really booming rave music wasn't it yeah I didn't realize there were actual demos that people did Um, so Alcatraz was a demo group and they created this it's called Odyssey and it's almost like a mini space opera across five floppy disks of course it is yeah um and it's just it's just it's really simple it's and I think this Swiss and English is the second language so the text isn't very clear it's quite clunky but if if anyone wants to check it out if they're amiga fans i'd never heard of it at all i've never heard anyone talk about it if you go to like youtube and type in alcatraz odyssey original it's a 45 minute amiga space opera that um that just has this really cool soundtrack a soundtrack that's so good that when you kind of remove it from it just sounds like this really sort of eclectic early 90s dance album that just uh, veers into different genres. It's really cool. So that sounds like it's up my up my street. That yeah, yep. I thought I'd mention it. It was uh, it's really cool. So and is, it's, it, is it music and visuals? 
Well, the the it's an, it, the demo is originally yeah, like a it's almost like a video, like a just a mini movie. Obviously, it's yeah. limited to the Amiga hardware, but the soundtrack's banging, and it's a mixture of sort of text, static images where this this hero called Zork of all names is traveling to different planets and meeting the different sort of denizens of them and the different races. And, but it's, it's mostly done through static images and music and text. And I just thought, well, this is, I sat down with a glass of wine and thought, what a way to spend 40 minutes. You know, it's just, <laughs> just, this is, this is quite cool. And I was wondering then, Oh, does this mean there are demo scenes that came up with like cool horror videos or comedy stuff? And it is kind of lit my imagination a little bit. So yeah. it's something I'm going to try and get into. Cause I was aware of all the crack stuff but not yeah. the, the actual demo scenes. Well, that um, was the way that they were essentially sort of distributing their art, if you like, was through like cracks, cracking games and co- and on the copy disc, you'd, you'd boot it up and that would be the first screen you saw. And it would have like mm-hmm. the demo and your awesome music and you'd, you know, select your cheats or whatever, or just let it play. And it was because it was just because I didn't have any friends. And because it was just me when I was a kid, uh, like as a gamer, I just thought that those crack screens were just like part of the game. (laughs) I thought that was I didn't realize it was pirating. No, there was an entire industry around pirating games. No, no idea about it. Um, Uh, For for our American listeners, we're talking about a home computer. You didn't have them in the 80s. So just you just had a NES. Please, NES. I, I remember, um, yeah, a conversation online I saw about the people saying, oh, it's not a NES, it's not a Z, it's an S. It's like, come on, guys. Everyone called it a NES in Britain, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Uh, but yeah, did anyone actually call it a NES? Did they? Yeah, because I suppose in America it was Atari. It was all cartridge based, wasn't it, from yeah. the get go? Yeah, we didn't. We had cassettes. We didn't mess around. <laughs> you wave a magnet. God, God. Floppy disks. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Amiga was ridiculous, especially when it went beyond like three discs. It was just anxiety setting because one, you knew one of them was going to be corrupt. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the other thing is, I, I, just for a mutual friend of ours, this this really tickled me. Uh, it must have been, I would say, it was like between like nine and ten on a Saturday night, and my phone went off and kind of apropos, not mid conversation, nothing. I had a I had a message from a mutual friend, um, Alex Davis. And it just said, <laughs> Junior is not the best film I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought, like, he is, a, he won't mind me saying this, he's a single man in, in his late 30s. And I thought, why are you on a Saturday of an evening sitting and thinking, I'll just pop, I'll pop Junior on. And I, yeah. I was just thinking, I won't bother watching Twins, I'll go straight to Junior. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll skip around the world in eighty days, uh, but it's. I was just thinking to our to our to our listeners, what what is the time that you've put a film on that's completely out of like your norm, your comfort zone, and just sat there and watched it and thought, <laughs> why did I watch that? Because it's such a, like a, a bonus points for not enjoying it at any point, but persisting. I remember coming home from work when I, I funnily enough, with 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 Alex, the same person, when we used to house share, and he was I came in and he was watching The Duchess, I think it's called, mm-hmm. with Kira Knightley, and it just started. I came in from work and I sat there and I watched it and I thought, and afterwards it finished and we sat in silence for the whole thing and I thought, I can't stand period dramas. Why, why did I just do that? And I, 
<laughs> just when I could have gone upstairs and played Halo 2. Well, my so, obvious my obvious choice would be when I stayed in that hotel and watched Shop Girl with Steve Martin and Claire Danes for three times on three consecutive nights. <laughs> I know you. I remember you saying in a previous episode that you you watched it three times. Three yeah, nights. all well, the way through. Listen, why were you in a hotel for three nights? I you? can't remember. Maybe it was, was it with work or something? I can't remember. Anyway, I, but I yeah came yes. And each evening it was on. It was the only thing for some reason that was on the movie channel at that time at night. Shop Girl with Steve Martin and Claire Danes. An Is unlikely romantic pairing. Whoa, 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 whoa. They, they get together. I thought it was just yeah. her dad. What? They get together. <laughs> yeah. I just well, they're the same generation. Ah. Oh, no, there's about 30 years between them, isn't there? Wait, wait a flipping moment. <laughs> What is the age difference between those two? Steve Martin, not that one. It's two first names, by the way. So he, right, he is 77 years old. And She's probably in her early 70s, surely. Her date is pretty, by the way. She's almost... If I met her and Anna Paquin in a hotel, I would just do this very odd silent dance that involved lots of rotation. <laughs> Um, so 44, 54, 64. Wow. He is 34 years older than her. They fall in love. <laughs> uh, I think so. The fact that I can't really remember what happens in the movie doesn't really bode well. For a film I watched three times in a row. Well, yeah. How long ago was this? Like a couple of weeks. When did you? When did this happen? Oh, this years ago. Absolutely years ago. Thankfully. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman's in that film, so it can't all be bad. Yeah. Come on. She's... Yeah, there's, um, a huge, there's a huge Wikipedia entry for this, by the way. I mean, I don't think it's an absolutely terrible film, but a dubious pairing. I would concede that. Um, uh, were you going to say something then? Sorry, nothing. I've got nothing further to say about Shop Girl. <laughs> um, you <coughs> mentioned in a in a in a mutual sort of uh, WhatsApp chat recently. You said that there's obviously there's a new Marrow movie out. Are you going to talk yeah. about this? Have you seen it? Because I, I know I you have, have seen it. Yes. You yeah, have seen seen it. it. Are you going to cover it today? I shall. Yes. Okay, I'll I'll save my comments for later on. Okay. Then. And, <laughs> yeah. And okay. Yeah. I think uh, I know what you're going to discuss. Cause I know it's not going to be about this Marrow movie. <laughs> we just just before we we go into the actual meat and potatoes of the show, though, uh, our mutual friend Laszlo, our occasional co-host and constant lover, Laszlo Buckets. <laughs> this, <laughs> Gave us a quick guide to the Fast and Furious films. And as someone who's okay. only seen one of them, and I think it was like the 15th or whatever, th- this guide just really tickled me. So I thought I'd, I'd share it. So this is a Laszlo Bucket's quick guide to the Fast and Furious films. So one, the Point Break ripoff one. Two, the one even Vin Diesel didn't want to be in. Three, the Tokyo one. Four, the franchise reboot where they drive through some tunnels. Five, the one with a big safe on the cars. Six, the Londony one with a big aeroplane. Seven, the one with CG Paul Walker and some skyscrapers. Eight, the one with magnetic cars and Charlie's Theron in a submarine. And number nine, they go to space in a flying car. <laughs> oh my God. Well,. I mean, they finally got to space. It didn't take that long for the what was it? Troll movies, leprechaun movies, and critters. And critters. Yeah. yeah. 
And, I mean, and, Critters was always going to end up in space. And, it, and Friday the 13th. Oh, my Christ. Yeah. I can't imagine Jason Voorhees lying down in his stinking, smelly shack with the f- face of his mother leering at him as he tugs on it, looking at a really foul, rotten magazine he's found in a bush. Reader's Wives, as he flips it open to a page that says, Linda 60 Barnett. And then, and then looking up through the the, the, the the sort of rotting rotting timbers of his roof at the, at the at space and he sees a shooting star and says ah oh, i hope by the 10th film i'm up there hacking people up with a machete and i'm a spaceman <laughs> but that's what the producers thought <laughs> so, yeah so uh... without further ado it's time to talk about movies in depth yes I believe you have watched 40 million films. I have watched a lot of films, but I'm I am focusing on the newer ones this week because I figure that I've actually been to cinema three times recently, which is more than I've been in the last two years. So, uh, so that's good. So, and but I figure I'll focus on them because you know while they're in the cinema, why not? If they're recommended. Absolutely. Maybe um, our maybe our listening figures will just skyrocket from you talking about uh, the new films. Probably more than they will when I talk about the Marine Four moving target. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, shall I begin? Please, please, my babe. I'll begin with John Wick Chapter Four. Oh, you bugger! Go on, I'm, oh, I'm on, keen on this. Oh, you, you bugger! John Wick Chapter Four. So they've gone back to chapters again. Because with number three, they, it did actually have a subtitle, of course, Parabellum. But then no one knew what that meant, so they just dropped it for the next one. Isn't it what like women in the Victorian age used to sort of twirl above their heads to keep the sun off them? That's a parasol. Um, that's an Amiga game, isn't it? That's parasol stars. Uh, so, John Wick Chapter 4. John Wick. He is on the run from everyone in the world, basically. And there's this dastardly French... Marquis, played by Alexander Skarsgård, obviously, who's using an ancient hitman tradition to basically burn everything to the ground, including the hotel. Is it the Continental? Is that what it's yes, called? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, in a bid to gain complete tyrannical control, basically. Um, however, he just needs to get John Wick out of the way because he's spoiling his plans. Now, John Wick has another plan, and he has challenged the marquee to single combat i.e pistols at 30 paces and the winner will take all which is simple enough although he has to agree to this essentially this uh french madman has to agree to it because he's a man of tradition although john does need to get to him first and the bounty on john's head is increasing by the hour there are other twists like john's main nemesis is a dear friend a blind hitman played by Donnie Yen and this apparently homeless man with a nifty sniper shotgun and a dog that has an appetite for bad guys bollocks. So, uh, so that's all in there. This is basically a film of three lengthy set pieces. Really? You've got, it starts with Osaka and then works its way through Berlin and ends up in Paris. And the first and last are great. I think the Berlin bit in the middle is a bit same old. Like it's like another austere techno club 
with revelers ignoring gunfire and fighting. Although we do get Scott Adkins in a fat suit Ooh. playing what? cut price penguin. Uh, <laughs> but it's not really enough to save that middle. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so that's quite fun. That's such a bizarre casting decision. Yeah, it, it is Good. very odd. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... Does he, so talk, does, does he discuss his personal politics at any point? No, he doesn't, weirdly. Oh, um, for the best, actually. Yeah. He does play Tinker in this movie, though, so I'm guessing that he probably <laughs> isn't. He's probably not that progressive, I would have thought, in his <laughs> politics. So there is quite a lot of downtime, I'd say, for a three-hour action movie. That's right. But overall, I think I found it less laborious than Chapter 3. Uh, and I think, the, even though it does drag a bit in the middle, I think the payoff is worth it, like... Because the Paris finale sequence is very exciting and dramatic. And there's a scene in this disused building in Paris. And it's a real keeper, I've got to say. Because the film basically turns into like Hotline Miami for about five minutes. And you've got this like unbroken top-down shot of John mincing his way through bad guys with an exploding shotgun type thing. And in it... That part genuinely felt new in a way I haven't seen. It, you know, you get that kind of sense of newness. Like I haven't seen since something like Fury Road, say, you know, like where it's exciting. Oh, it, it feels like it's, it's moving the genre forward. Yeah, like it's, it's mm. a step forward. And that bit really, really felt like that. There are bits I don't really like generally about, is that bother me about the John Wick as it is now, that it, what it became. I really don't like the bulletproof suits concept. I can't remember when this was introduced. I guess in part three. I can't really remember. But they've got this whole bulletproof suits thing where basically you can put a suit. And in, in like, it's like a cheat code. Like he can just like hold up his suit in front of his face and like not die. I mean, it's just it bothers me because it changes like the geography and the choreography of the action because. And it's aesthetic. He didn't complain about that in the Batman, though, which is effectively the same thing, where he would be mowed down. He just holds his hand up and he's fine. He is wearing a full set of body armor, to be fair. Um, so this is this is the fact that he's wearing like a woolen suit. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's like a woolen suit with a tie cut off and a square. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was Sully from Commando, wasn't it? Yeah, that was David Patrick Kelly in like, <laughs> Um. I don't know. It just it just it just seems a bit too convenient. Um, but anyway, I, and I suppose the question is, did John Wick ever need a sequel? Not really. No, because I think that's okay. Go on, sorry. That is, that is a fundamental thing. Like the efficiency of the first one is is way long gone. Like the dialogue now is the whole thing is so like ponderous, uh, and the dialogue is so spare and mythic. It's almost like there's no human beings in the films anymore it's just it's just sort of ridiculous mythic dialogue which is okay because uh it it feels like the screenwriters almost like gave a synopsis to like chat gpt and like it came out with these words for you for its human operators to say you know what i mean where it's not quite they're not quite speaking like actual human beings they're just enunciating words but I don't really care because it's all about the action. Uh, and I can't see myself ever really watching all four films again, but I think I would happily revisit certain scenes, certain action sequences. And you could do that because, you know, the action sequences here are like an hour long each. So that's fine. I just think the first film is still 
perfectly formed. The sequels have some really good content spread amongst them. But they're not diminishing returns, are they? Um, no, not in terms of what you get. I mean, in terms of like character and things like that, it doesn't obviously doesn't really develop. It's much more about world building and like myth building than it is about actual human characters, which is fine because you just really want to see John Wick going around kicking ass, which you get in ever more elaborate ways. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. It's just the way they went. And it was, this is the only way it could have gone after chapters two and three Parabellum. I, kind of hope this because i i I fully intend to sit down and watch all the films in one day at some point because every time i've watched a john wick film i haven't seen this one yet but every time i've watched it i've thought yes i can feel my eyes my eyes and my heart and and my bum all feel the same thing which is joy and i just think this is kind of a pure this is a pure adrenaline shot of what I enjoy about the movies about this, yeah. where it's it's such a basic plot and it just keeps moving forward. There are moments in this film where he would die. <laughs> you, <laughs> <He, laughs> there's bits where he like will fall like three stories or something, just land on his head on a van, and it's like dead, dead. You are dead, and yet he's not. And I have to say the, I think it's. As I said, like this is the only way it could have gone at this point, and I think the ending is good. It's worth it in the end, so it's a nice way to wrap it up. Um, you did two things you didn't mention. Uh, one is Lance Reddick. Yes, he's there. Uh, I, and the other one is Clancy Brown. Yes, <laughs> Clancy Brown, who is brilliant in this film. He's brilliant in everything. Absolutely brilliant in everything. Um, so yeah, Lance Reddick. We have to acknowledge the fact that yeah. <sighs> Lance, Lance, Lance. I've been playing a bit of Destiny 2 as well, and of course he rocks up in that, doesn't he? Bloody hell, he's, he's, just, he's, he's just got like a beautiful. It's kind of like Ernie Hudson or Keith David. Uh, Keith David, sorry, they've just got this voice. Yeah, I was thinking. It's, yeah, Keith David's got a really, really distinctive voice as well. So yeah, yeah. still got no, Keith it, at least. Yeah, I, I mean Lance Reddick. He was sixty, so I'm assuming he's got some. Because I, I remember him just rocking up, playing kind of key key character parts in 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 modern films over the last ten or fifteen years. But yeah. has he ever been a leading role in a movie? Because that would be quite interesting to um, see. I'm not sure the leading role. I mean, he's one of the leading roles in in Bosch on the TV. So, and he's such a cool character. But they made a movie. Yeah, they made Sorry? a movie of that. Should I should I watch the movie of that? Oh, what, that... Bosch. Yeah. Did they make a movie of that? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Luther. Sorry. Yes, I yes. I yes, don't yes, watch yes. the Savannah, so yeah. No, they haven't made a movie of Bosch yet. No doubt they will at some point. But um, yes, Titus something. Titus Welliver, yes. It's a name that is. <laughs> Isn't it? Of course. Uh, well, he plays character. He plays is literally called Hieronymus Bosch. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> like literally, like the the artist behind the Garden of Earthly Delights. Do you remember Ridiculous. when I was when I wrote a script and I was my name in it was Suzanne Vega? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, and I and the sub the subtitle was Luca, 
and I sang about a boy who lived on the second floor when yeah. it was soft production from a late 80s pop song. <laughs> well, you watched John Wick 4, which sounds good, and, and quite frankly, I'm going to watch it. This is this right up my street, I'm going to float it off into the distance. So I, I couldn't, I could, I couldn't watch John Wick four, but I could watch the Marine four moving target. Obviously, with John Cena, you'd think so, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't actually, because <laughs> he's only the he first. Would do that low. It was Mike the Miz Mizzenin starting the starting the the fourth one. Um, there, there was a lot. I, do you know what? I kind of got what I needed from this film before I actually pressed play because. Obviously, this was a DVD from my brother Transwell, five pounds from a charity shop. And I put it in and it said, you know, it was play movie, scene selection. And there was a there was a button because I kind of forget how kind of quaint DVDs are, if you know what I mean, with mm-hmm. their looped 15 second introduction sequences and so on. And it said, catch up with the Marine series. And I was like, no, I watched that obviously. So I know what's going on. Cause this is the fourth film in the series. And they moved through like three different lead actors. And, um, and then it said firepower and it was the beauty. <coughs> and, I, and I, and I was like, Oh, what are they? Then I clicked on them and it was the firepower and the beauty. It, it's literally like the stars of the film sat down saying, God, this is a bloody good film. Oh, there's lots of explosions. What a good film this is. <laughs> and, and I thought, Right, so I watched the other one, and it was the women that it sat down in like bralettes saying, "God, this is a bloody good film," and the things explode as well. What bloody good film it is! It's so self-promoting. Oh. Um, the production company is WWE Studios because the Miz is a wrestler, a wrestler that has just been shit on by the creative <laughs> team for the last ten years as well. So I don't know why he's cast in this. Um, there are apparently a few more. I'm going to watch a few of them because, believe it or not, this was actually like quite a... It's possibly the most generic action film I've ever seen, but it was entertaining. Okay. So the story is that... This is... Obviously, I picked this up on DVD, so it's not only streaming services as far as I know. It starts off with Miz, and he's in a hotel, and it's his first day on the job, a security detail for this young girl who knows something that could end the world if baddies know it so he's just trying to get her from a to b the convoy gets attacked and then he uh he goes on the run with her but she doesn't trust him and he's trying to get her to trust him <laughs> um it, it goes through it, it literally ticks every box you think so mm-hmm. starts off he, he's moving on from a trauma she's a saki kid he's proves that he's not just a typical sort of uh jughead and he and he, he can he's a clever bloke she doesn't trust him. She doesn't trust him for far too long in this film. Like this, there there are sequences where he clearly goes completely out of his way to save her life at, at absolute risk, and and it's it's very clear that the opposing team are not on his side, and she still clonks him in the head with a brick when they're walking across a bridge. Nicks his gun and runs off, and he wakes up and he's like, oh, and he runs after it. What I would do if that happened to me, I'd wake up and just think, oh fuck her. Like this is this is ridiculous. No, she's actually knocked me out after I've saved her life. It's the opposite of what should be happening. Um, yeah. So it's the, the bad guys are sort of quite sort of moustache twirly, and it's Excellent. a it's a bare bones plot that just really really moves forward at a tasty pace. Oh, it, it must be sub ninety minutes because I did. Wow, one hundred and twelve minutes. Wow. Bloody hell. So but, uh, reaching but, the magic two hour mark. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it, it didn't feel like that. That's another thing in its favour. It, it is the most tick box action movie I've ever seen. But, of course, there's money behind it. WWE, big, huge company. Um, he actually has some sort of sort of muted charisma. And there are explosions and the, and the, and the CG gunfire and the blood is quite well done. There are a lot of quick cuts, so you're not just thinking, I'm looking at CG. So, yeah, bizarrely, the the Marine Four moving target, I watched this when I was ill, it was a good, oh, I'll just check it on and let it happen kind of action film. So, it's worth it. Yeah, I'm Would, surprised. So, is it possible just to go straight into number four? I mean, it sounds like really you should watch number one to three, really, shouldn't you, before? <laughs> does, it, does it feel reliant on the previous films? I mean, other, other than you know, I mean, obviously you get the catch up on the DVD so yeah it's so funny just watching like other people play a similar character and then it's just yeah. god this is this so interchangeable yeah you had John Cena and then the Miz and there was someone else and I think it's like Ted DiBiase's son or something and it, it doesn't yeah it doesn't matter I just thought this okay. would be complete shash and I was quite surprised by how tediously well, yeah. competent it was <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, if it ever becomes available on a streaming service, maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> Until then. <laughs> that time. Do we know it's not available on a streaming service? Oh, uh, we, we could possibly do some sort of research that unveils the answer. Marine, the Marine 4. Moving target. Moving target. Well, well it's available. Oh, it's on Rakuten, the worst streaming service. <laughs> of course it is. Better get that bad boy as a free, free rental. Okay, maybe I'll watch one to three first. Um, anyway, okay. Oh, that's good. It's good to know. Goes yeah, yeah. a Possible new franchise there for you to <laughs> investigate. Um, Dungeons and Dragons: Colon Honor Among Thieves. Oh, you have been to the cinema, haven't you? Yeah. Look at you. Someone's uh, been paid. This is a comedy fantasy film from the same guys that made... Well, last film they made was Game Night, which I thought was not particularly funny, but it seemed to be very popular. Um, they were actually, I think, writers on Cloudy with a Chance of Meeples too, mind. So, um, And Spider-Man Homecoming. Anyway... So you can kind of see the kind of comedy that we're talking about here. It's occasionally amusing, but pretty standard comedy fantasy film. Sort of somewhere between, say, Your Highness and something like Dragonheart, say. So it does have some internal... Dragonheart, the one with Dennis Quaid and Sean. Yeah, like, it has that kind of, like throw away whimsy but it's not a complete farce and it's not mocking the genre so it does have some internal logic but is, it's is, it, is, irreverent. It desperate, is it desperate to be a franchise uh yes <laughs> overall and yeah well there's a bit more on that later anyway but i'll just go through well it stars chris pine who's armed just with a loot obviously and he's on a <sighs> quest to retrieve his daughter from the dastardly Hugh Grant um <laughs> now he has help from a warrior played by Michelle Rodriguez and a sorcerer and a shapeshifter sorcerer is played by Justice Smith the kid from Detective Pikachu with a perfect English accent weird um 
I just assumed he's English, but he's not. But um, it's a pretty thin plot, really. And it just go and save the daughter, and it and pretty weak world building. But at least the comedy isn't fourth wall breaking. It's not like a spoof. And there are a couple of genuinely funny sequences, like there's a bit where they have to get information, certain information, and what they can do is they use a spell to they can awaken the dead from their grave, but they only get to ask them five questions. Um, so of course they wake them up and then accidentally ask like questions. It's like, uh, oh, is he awake now? Oh, that's one question gone. That sort of thing. So you can imagine the kind of ridiculous situation they get in there. So that's quite fun. That was a good bit. And there's um, so there's bits like that. There's a a few filler kind of comedy moments. Like there's this not particularly funny Bradley Cooper cameo in it. Hugh Grant is literally he's channeling boris johnson in this film i suddenly realized that halfway through he's just boris johnson because he's like this quite unpleasant mean-spirited tyrant but whenever he's challenged on anything he'll just kind of turn it into a joke or like you know become like a mumbling quipping uh kind of simpleton and it's quite malevolent actually um and i guess hugh grant's kind of carved a little bit of a niche for himself for these cheeky slightly camp aging bad boy roles like with the gentleman and guy Ritchie's new one operation fortune which i half watched recently it was very uninteresting actually surprisingly dull uh anyway dungeon dragons yes yeah, cgi is quite poor there'll be there'll be more on that later don't worry. okay okay cgi i found i thought was poor at times especially when it came to like animals and stuff and yeah, I know it's a comedy, but it just looks a bit lazy in this day and age to have that level of just crappy CGI. And I, I do like my whimsical fantasy, but this is it's it's this is no Princess Bride or even Stardust, I wouldn't say. I found it average, and it surprises me that it's been so popular because you think about it, like Shazam Two has become a famous flop now, and that was that's an equally irreverent, like fantastical movie um and a sequel to a popular movie and yet that one has been fast tracked to streaming and dungeons and dragons which doesn't really have which doesn't really have any previous does it i mean i mean dungeons and dragons i mean a lot of younger people know it from like stranger things i guess but it's odd that it happens to have been such a hit but well, fair enough it, it, so it, it is a hit then yeah i mean it's big hit yeah I mean, not Avatar like sort of thing, but like a success when you would have thought, you know, not Avatar where it's massive and then uh, over a decade down the line they release an average sequel that no one gives a shit about. It's not that level. No one watches. Um, Yeah, (laughs) but Dragon. Yeah, it's like uh, it's weird because this is like a hundred million dollars probably plus. Oh wow! Okay. So you know, uh, it it had to me it had like flop all over it, but yeah, it's. It's done well. People like it. So fair enough. I think it's okay. I don't think I would watch. There are other things I'd watch first. Put it that way. It's a weird one, because I'm just thinking about the hit, my personal history of Dungeons and Dragons. There was that cartoon. Yes. In the 80s with a kid with a one horn on a roller coaster or something. I think that was before my time. But, But then you've got. The board game, which is which is yeah. obviously grown and grown and grown, and then you have the movie in two thousand with a person mm. in it, probably called Justin, that I've completely forgotten about, and I think he's forgotten about himself as well. <laughs> and then and now this, yeah. and that was two thousand. So this is twenty three years on. It's 
And the only thing in okay. between really has been Stranger Things and the kids mentioning Dungeons and Dragons. Other than that, it's not like anyone's got like regular lay people audiences. They don't have any attachment to any character or anything. These because they're just archetypes, aren't they? It's just like the rogue, the sorcerer. The maybe that's what the success is all about because of its sort of like archetypal simplicity, I suppose. But yeah, and it could be an, you know a new thing for you know. The, however, some people look at that old cartoon. Maybe some kids will now look at this this movie and think, oh wow, this is kind of fun. What rating is it? In terms of like what like, like age? 12, uh, yeah. Feels like it's probably a twelve uh, or PG. It's not. Yeah, it's silly more than anything. It's not particularly like menacing or anything like that. It's pretty pretty silly. There's always a punchline if there's a moment of mild horror, put it that way. But it's it's okay. You do worse than this. <laughs> so there's, so. A, there's a bit where like a like some some underage teen just gets sawed in half and mutilated, and, <laughs> and then and then an orc will fart and everyone will giggle, so it kind of balances out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. um, yeah. He'll fart that. <laughs> <laughs> Now that wasn't creepy, and they'll say it as well, so everyone's clear. All oh, right, okay. If it ends with a joke, it's not illegal. <laughs> My lawyer didn't see it that way, but you know, um, no, that's fine. I, I will watch that because you know, fantasy films. Although I know you lean to- more towards the whimsy, I kind of like stuff like The Witcher, where it's everyone just wandering around gutted. So I'll give it a go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an easy watch. Put it that way. How long is it? Um, didn't feel long. Probably a hundred minutes, I'd guess. Maybe well, that's good. That's good. I don't know. That is a massive guess. I should really, really find out for sure. Let's do a, a bit of. It's 134 minutes, so that's good because mm. the fact that I thought it was short, but actually it's really quite long. That's good. That's always a good sign. Obviously, uh, it trundles along quite nicely. It's, well, it's longer than the Marine Force. So that means it's a better film. Um. Right. I watched Everything Everywhere all at once, which oh, yeah. I know was a film you thought was okay. Uh, yeah. Your brother thought was really, really good. Yeah. And I sat down and watched it in over two nights, which I think had a minor impact on my enjoyment. So um, you've covered this before, so I just wanted to do a TNT, a two-minute trashing, and just say that I think I enjoyed it far more than you did. Mm. Because what I found was... Uh, I'm trying to think of how to explain the plot really, really quickly. Uh, well, actually, I don't need to because you've covered it before. Um, well, I think what I enjoyed about it, ironically, after what I just said, is how quickly the plot is explained. If you look at something like The Infinites with Mark Wahlberg, where yes. even even as they're in a helicopter flying <laughs> to the baddies like Evil Citadel, they're still looking at each other and, and saying, oh, so when we die, we come back and we have powers. That's brilliant, that is. And you think, yeah. I got to grips with that 10 minutes in. It's now two hours in. If you can stop <laughs> explaining the plot to each other, that would be grand. Um, but with with everything ever all at once, when uh, K, I'm going to butcher his name now, K Hoi Kwan, uh, you know, rocks mm-hmm. up with Michelle Yeoh and just says, boom, 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 boom. Yes. And it's explained. I thought, oh, my God, that's so refreshing. And then, and then of course, the reveals, you're kind of on board with because you're not confused with it. You know what, how, how it's going to roll. But you're kind of part of it. The problems mm-hmm. I had with it were the constant references to the everything on it bagel, uh, the bagel with everything on it, because it struck me when they kept referring to this bagel, I got the same emotional response that I get 
as I, as when people discuss things like Die Hard being a Christmas movie, oh. or you have oh you have pizza and pie, you have pineapple and pizza, or even everything bagel. It's this sort of faux contrarianism that just yeah. makes my entire body fill up with blood and burst out of my ears, and and, and then the blood becomes alive and strangles me. So I, I just That's don't, yes. Yeah, so, so, so I don't enjoy those conversations, Rupert. We um, sort of like so kind of contrived uh, zaniness, like zaniness, randomness in lieu of actual like personality. It, you know. It's the same feeling, right? The diehard. The, oh my god, yeah. this is this is so. What's the word? Re, not revelatory. It's it's so cathartic to me to say this. People saying. People who say Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie or have that conversation, Pineapple on Pizza, The Everything Bagel, it's up there with people who say, oh, my God, have you played Cards of Humanity? Mm. And I think, oh, right, so you're not funny yourself, but you like things that can engineer humour in lieu of of your own ability to create it. So, yeah, that bothered me a lot. But um, Yeah, like admiring humour without actually having any capacity to create your own. Yeah. yeah, like driving home after like really laughing at Cards Against Humanity and thinking, oh, that was really funny. Imagine if we were the creators of it. Yeah, that not... made me really funny by playing it. Yeah. Do you remember? It was really funny then, wasn't I, when someone else was engineering the humour <laughs> around me? Do you remember that time I was really funny yeah. when I read out someone else's words? I was just a oh, yeah, when I read out someone else's funny random story and everyone laughed. That was me, that was, for a second. Um so yeah, that that bothers me, and that's how I kind of felt about some parts of this. I thought it was an actual. I could not believe how cheaply done it was. If oh, you know, in, ter- in terms, yeah, in terms of, I thought it was fantastic, and then I was just reading about like the budget is twenty five million. I thought it looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, they, yeah, put it up there on the screen. And Michelle Yeoh is like an absolutely gorgeous woman. I love how dowdy she was. And I think as well, because I came into this after the, all the Oscar stuff and the Kei Hui Kwan, yeah. the hug with Harrison Ford and him retiring yeah. and being the stunt coordinate coming back in, that I just went into it with a sense of like feel good. And, yes. and the film made me feel good. And I can't remember the last time I probably got lost in a, in, in a film like this where not that I was like caught up in the law. I just thought I'm really enjoying this. I'm, I'm completely on board with it. I did think that it went on for a bit long, well, a bit too long. I think about 10, 15 minutes could have been shaved off because it when it it's a very clever film and it's very clever in how it's explained to the audience. You can grasp it and follow it. But I felt like the absurdist part of it was a little bit heavy handed. And it's like, OK, I get the idea now. I get how bonkers you can be. But let's have a little bit of focus towards the end and not just, oh, look how random this is. Look how funny that is. Let's go back to the sausage fingers thing again. It's like yeah. very one note jokes. And the bagel pissed me off. But I did enjoy it more than you. And I and I can imagine watching it again down the line. Uh, and um, it was just, I realised halfway through, I thought, this is Michelle Yeoh in this role. All the stuff I've yeah. seen her in, this is so different. So I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, clearly all of the actors were... A very and everyone who worked on it's clearly very passionate about it. So it is a it's a feel good movie with and a feel good story. About yeah, a production story sort of thing. So uh, when you, it's, when it's you definitely at, net positive. When you look at it on on Wikipedia, as I'm just staring at now, and it's an absurdist mm-hmm. comedy drama. It it's not as kind of and it, concepts such as existentialism, nihilism, depression, neurodivergence, generational trauma. It's like you can probably read into it what you want, 
Yeah, you know? I think that speaks more to its lack of coherence than it does to mm. its actual co- like quality of content, should we say? Like it may touch on a lot of these things, but I, yeah. I, I it was it's too to me it was too <clears throat> fractured and incoherent to have any emotional resonance. To be honest, I just thought it's a lot of cool ideas, but they didn't hang together. Yeah, I've, I, I have a bit of a concern with it. Doesn't say this, but when people say um, like an album movie it deals with something, I think does mm. it or does, or does it? Does it just, just reference it in some way? It, yeah, it doesn't deal with it, does it? It's dealing um, with it makes it sound like oh, it's all sorted now. Like it's so, so yeah, it it's deals with now. grief. Oh, it's so done. Yeah, yeah, I feel better now. I'll just listen to that and I'm I'm over it. Yeah, like I, I watch. I, do you know what? My, my my wife died. Then I watch Manchester by the Sea, and I, I'm fine now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not quite like that, is it? <laughs> Would that it were so simple. Um, right, okay. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Everyone's gonna have got to watch it at some point. Yeah, it's one of those zeitgeisty movies. Uh, let's talk about the Super Mario Bros. movie. Because this <laughs> one I did see. Was there something you wanted to say about the 1993 movie before we go into this? Because there, this is not yeah. the first Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, is it? So I just, I just wanted to, like, I've never seen, I haven't seen the new Mario movie, which is obviously an, an, an a CG movie, you know, for kids kind of thing. Yeah. And I, but I, and I have seen the original Mario movie, Super Mario Brothers from '93, very a very long time ago. But I kind of watched half of it. And I and I mm. didn't watch the whole thing for no real reason. I watched half of it and then I, you know, had to turn off for familial reasons and then got sidetracked or whatever. But I I thought about it a lot after watching like forty five minutes of it because I thought it's obviously Joe Gleguithamo and uh, it's always fantastic to see. Paul um, Hoskins. But do you know what? I almost said Phil Collins. Then wow. it is never it is never fantastic to see or hear <laughs> Phil Collins. By the way, listeners. Except um, Buster. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember looking at that in the video shop I worked in and thinking, I'm not going to watch that. I think on the front of that, I think he's leaning up against the wall in an ill-fitting suit and shrugging. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Isn't he just got a load of money bursting out of his suit as well? I can't remember. Anyway, um, enough about Phil Collins. Yeah, so I watched 45 minutes of, of the original 93 Mario movie and I was thinking, it's a really... Bizarre. Not to hijack your review, right? Because I know I'm assuming you're gonna are you gonna mention this movie in that coverage? Well, not particularly, no, because there isn't much to say about that movie. Oh, right. But there's, there's no, no... no, I mean it's it's a discussion we need to we need to have really. <clears throat> so what kicked this off was because I, I watched half of it after you said okay. it on Reddit. People are kind of re revisiting this and saying, oh, actually. Oh um, well, yeah. It was. I think it was on Reddit, and it and it was sort of in response to how well this movie was doing. That it was a lot of grumpy, I don't know, parents, I guess, or Nintendo fans. But basically, they were like, <coughs> like saying that this new movie is it takes no risks. At least the '93 original took risks. And was genuinely bold and all this kind of crap. And I was thinking, have you seen the original? Have you seen the '93 movie? Just because something it doesn't do things like other movies do them doesn't make it wildly original or bold. It could just be a load of crap, a load of ill-conceived crap, which is what it is. It was like, well, what is going on with that '93 movie? <laughs> like live action for a start. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, 
we can get over the casting just about because Bob Hoskins has got so much charisma. And then, but the fact that they, the Mushroom Kingdom, well, it's no Mushroom Kingdom, is there? They just go through Sewer Pipe into, like, a dystopian Blade Runner future world. Look, look, they go they go underground of the New York sewers and they go through yeah. a magic portal into yeah. a total shithole. And that's <laughs> what it is. And it's not like magical winds they walk in and it's just shit. And, yeah. and you're like, oh and Dennis Hopper's hamming it up. And then there's a woman who like takes a, some sort of ring or key off them and there's that awful sequence where she's bouncing around her boots and they just some scenes I was watching her thinking, what is the focus of this? And what is who and I I could not work out because obviously it, it's in the same style as the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film and like Tank Girl where there's yeah. this kind of sort of zaniness but mixed with like a, a real grimy realism. Yeah. I think who yeah. is this aimed at? I can understand oh, if it was no. childish, but it's so yeah, it's not like yeah. grimy. Like this isn't what you know how like the Double Dragon movie. Is kind of goofy and yeah. ridiculous, and over but the top, clearly yeah. aimed at children in a really misguided way, and they know child is actually going to enjoy it. But at least it's like trying to be aimed. These movies that they made, like Super Mario Brothers '93, it's like, what are you thinking? What child would enjoy this? Uh, you know. So I, I thought it was amusing that, that you know. After 30 years, you get this film, which is obviously a CG cartoon mm. made by Illumination, the people behind the Minions movies and that, uh, uh, combining with Nintendo and with Shigeru Miyamoto as like a producer, consultant, etc. So clearly Nintendo want absolute control over this and they want to make sure it doesn't go that way again sort of thing. And so... You know, and which makes perfect sense because clearly, as the box office shows, that's what people actually want. It's certainly what children want. Uh, anyway, so the story of the new Super Mario Brothers movie is that the bros are trying to get their Brooklyn-based plumbing business off the ground. Um, but then they're sucked through a sewer portal into the Magic Kingdom, Mushroom Kingdom, sorry, and they're separated but they have a shared mission to stop Bowser from forcing Peach into a marriage and destroying the Mushroom Kingdom. The Bowser character really stands out, actually, because he really makes a thing of this whole forced marriage shtick. And Jack Black is having a good time. And he even gets his own theme song, literally called Peaches. I love how they play with the absurdity and like single dimensionality of the Bowser character. Because every time it cuts back to... Bowser, he's like in a new, ever more outrageous role play about his blissful future with Peach. He's either singing a song about her or just literally doing like a little play or something. It's really amusing. It turns out Chris Pratt is quite charming as Mario, and Charlie Day captures the essence of Luigi well. Like this whole thing about this sort of anxiety that Luigi has, which is kind of borne out the fact that he's sort of like the second. He's the spare brother, if you like. But it's quite sweet, their relationship. Um, it's not just an introduction to the world, but also, I guess, a preview now of stuff to come because there's all these references to Lumas and galaxies and there's a really lovely 
sort of nod towards Luigi's mansion and you get to see some Yoshis in the wild. So that's cool. And it really is for young kids. And I, uh, and I think there will be a cinematic universe around this. Um, do you, did you watch it alone or did you take your son? I did take my son. Oh, nice. Not did... even three yet. So this was a risk. <sighs> yes. It was a risk, but he was in trance throughout the whole film. Oh, and actually wow. a lot, all the kids, I mean, it was very busy audit Easter weekend auditorium, but all the kids were really good. They weren't asking about, uh, or anything in that. Yeah. They're just completely transfixed. So that was cool. I mean, it does look likely this will be a, a new cinematic universe. It made more than the 93 movie ever did on its first day, put it that way. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not daring, but I don't think it, I think as a, a kind of franchise starter, it's exactly what it needed to be, which is sort of a rehash of the plot we've seen from the games over the years, but with a few little twists in it, like Princess Peach isn't some damsel in distress. I mean, she's, you know, quite a leader and she actually trains Mario and how to kind of survive in the Mushroom Kingdom and stuff. So it's got that kind of thing in it. Um, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have that fourth wall breaking element of say the Lego movie, but I mean, both films are ultimately just adverts for their brands, aren't they? And I always felt that the way that the Lego movie did the sentimental father son stuff was a little bit manipulative anyway, but you know, like, you know, like it's just selling family joy. It's like it's plastic really in it. But anyway, um, yeah, so it just, yes, anyway, Mario movie is exactly what you expect it to be, and it's exactly what it needs to be to set something up. But it's enjoyable in its own right as well, and there's some really just amusing character moments in it. I really like the, uh, there's this, like, Luma star who's stuck in a cage and he's just suicidally depressed, but really, really overjoyed about the fact that it, it, he's inevitably going to die. So that was quite funny. Um... Yes, he's just embracing the concept of death. That was good for me. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's good. like it. I mean, it's critic-proof, really, isn't it? In the day. <laughs> Parents are going to bring their kids. I was surprised by how entranced my child was, given his age. But I, so I guess it really is one for all ages. Were you just prepared to say, if he kicks off, we're leaving, sort of thing? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, no, he was good as gold as soon as it started. wasn't as interested in all the uh, car adverts beforehand, no one I? <laughs> oh, really? No. So there's a tip for anyone. Arrive late. <laughs> yeah. You could own a Nissan Micra. <laughs> <laughs> I, already I, do. I already do don't you worry 2014 <laughs> bloody brilliant g, g- reg why <laughs> shouting at the screen you could own a ford you could own a peugeot 108 like, oh, the dream on me <laughs> <laughs> i've already got a turbo diesel um I, yeah i've already got a choke <laughs> um yeah so that's recommended yeah, I suppose the question is, though, I mean, yes, it's recommended for very young children. Is it recommended for adults? I've honestly got no idea. Did you because, laugh? Did you enjoy it? Did you think, oh, this is cool? Or were you, just, is, well, were you just look, caught up in the fact your son was enjoying it? I, I was caught up in that. 
and like the recognition that he had but of course I have a lot of recognition as well so I I recognize certain little uh you know references to other Nintendo games like Wrecking Crew and stuff like that you know all Back these of the little, dolphin there was there were all these wow they all these like visual references everywhere I mean I suppose if you're uh, definitely if you're a Nintendo fan it's a no-brainer if someone were not a Nintendo fan and they are, were an adult I'm not sure how much you get out of it to be honest because story-wise it's not particularly sophisticated okay right so you see you've got stuff like pixel right? so I'm, I'm an adult and taking my child and we watch pixel what as in the Adam Sand pixel is it pixel yeah. pixels the one with Adam Sandler <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that one, right? So the one that's this is deeply a, disrespectful towards video games <laughs> in general. Okay, yes. And then you've got Wreck-It Ralph, which is another video game themed. So you got yeah. Pixel at one is, end, yeah. And Wreck-It Ralph two at the other end. Say, where where in that scale does this film fall? Um, it's it's very hard to gauge given my own investment in it, but I would say you're a Nintendo fanboy. Yeah, yeah, I would say in terms of it, basically. If you're a, a, someone who is only a, a, with a more general interest in video games or no particular interest in video games, you're not going to enjoy it as much as you would Wreck-It Ralph because Wreck-It Ralph has got a lot more for like adults and uh, different ages, whereas Super Mario Brothers movie is like it's very much for young young kids. And I guess the idea is is if they want to build a franchise on this, those kids are going to be growing up with these movies, so I suppose it's going to grow and grow that way. I guess. I don't know. It's exciting to see what they'll do next. Are, we, are they going to do a Zelda movie? That would be nice. Such a loser. And they need to make a Lone Stalker movie and just stop messing around. Just do, do a Metroid movie with absolutely no dialogue whatsoever. I'd be absolutely fine. With that. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Well, <laughs> do you know what? That leads that leads on nicely to, to my next film, actually, if I, if oh. I may be so bold. So I was... Um, my son fell asleep for exactly the length of this movie, so I was I was it was my turn to look after him on a Friday, and he fell asleep for exactly what it turns out to be 130 minutes because I watched Godzilla vs Kong. Oh, I remember this 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 came out um, a while ago. It's 2021, and I thought oh, I think I've seen this because I went through a phase of watching monster movies. Obviously, talked about it on the podcast. I thought, no, this is one that was like it was like sixteen quid to watch or whatever, and I thought, oh, I wait for it to be free, and then now I have watched it, and I think you may have covered this before. Have I? Have you covered it? I, so, I don't think so. Have I even seen it? Which one? It's it's just it's just it's just a it's just a brief one, right? So it's Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> so, is this the one with Millie Bobby Brown in it? Yes, and a, and a perennial cold. Did I watch um, all of it, or did I just start watching it and get bored? Well, I think you missed a trick if you did, because oh right, okay, okay. What what, what I found this is this is a TMT. What, what I found was that you, you talking about um, the Mario Brothers. This is it's it's you know it's all about the game sort of thing. This is for Godzilla vs Kong. I thought the title says it all. Really, what I want is a massive battle of Godzilla versus Kong, and I would be more than happy if there were no humans, and it was all told through <laughs> interpretive violence. And and the same as what you just said about... Um, uh, I, 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 it's slipped my mind now, but you were saying that if you made the Visit Metroid game and it was just mm. all in silence, that would be amazing. Yeah. Right? If that was done well, that would be amazing. 
with Godzilla versus Kong, what I wanted to see, right? Bear with me, right? Right, right. It's Godzilla, right? Yeah. But fighting King Kong. Oh, right. right. That's what I want to see. And again, all of the. Do you and your demands? All, bloody entitled all, you, like. The, all of the generation. It's not even secondary, it's tertiary in my mind. <laughs> so the, uh, when it kicks off, and it's 130 minutes, so it's not too bad. And you've got Millie Bobby Brown and that bloke that you fancy. Uh, what's his name? Frank Grillo? Kyle Chandler. Oh, Lance oh, yeah. Reddick's in this as well. And well, it's, it's all about... Just more than one man, I fancy, then. We have to drill to the centre of the earth and take Kong with us in these magic submarines and take him to this new place. Otherwise, because King Kong and Godzilla are titans, they'll continue fighting. The, the violence, the fighting, is really weighty and there's a sequence where they get into a fight and Kong is drugged and being taken across the island on a boat. Mm. And I thought, and there's a sort of a, um, a fleet of ships around him and then Godzilla rocks up and they fight. And I thought this is surely going to be really boring and one-sided because if he gets Kong underwater, he will drown, but <laughs> they, they, they make it kind of fun. And and that's what I found was every time they fight, mm. I, I love the weight and scale of it. And when they're in Tokyo and everything's neon, it was brilliant. But just as you'd expect, all of the human stuff is just in comparison to two titans, not just yeah. two titans, two absolute pillars in the like the biggest pillars in the monster movie genre. <laughs> I don't care about Millie Bobby Brown not getting on with her dad. Yeah. I don't. I don't <laughs> care about that. I don't care about any of that. I don't care that you can't shift your cold. What I want to see is a massive fight for two hours and maybe they part and I just get to see some beautiful cinematography in the meantime. And every time humans came on screen, I just rub my temples, even Alexander Skarsgård, whom I fancy. Um, so, yeah, it's it just it's worth it, though, like for, for what you get. I know they'll probably never make a two hour silent monster film, but coming on from that film, watched about, I can't remember what it was called about the troll a couple of weeks ago when we did the last episode. That was really cool. But that was more kind of, 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 of an emotional impact than a monster movie impact. That was more of a drama. This I felt like it delivered when it finished. I thought, good. I saw massive monsters fighting. Which is such a simple thing, but seemingly so hard to get right in Hollywood. I I enjoyed that. So it's directed um, by Adam Wingard, who made Your Next and The Guest and Blair Witch. I didn't realise that. Did I watch Blair Witch? I don't know whether you watched the reboot. Um, oh, what? The Guest anyway, there is great, a sequel and Your Next was good. God, yeah, yeah, I love The Guest. Um, yeah, there is a sequel, upcoming sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. And it's Wingard again, so good, good for him. Yeah. Okay, so it's worth, it is worth persisting with. I probably just wasn't in the mood, we thought. I, 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 I love him on, I love big monsters fighting, and, and it did, yeah. Oh, Dan Stevens is the lead in the new Godzilla vs. Kong sequel. That's interesting. Dan Stevens, is he a man, if, if you were, so, so, close your eyes. You're yeah. driving. Down, you're driving. You're in your Nissan Micra, driving down Route 66 in America, mm-hmm. and you. <laughs> so, so at some point, you're probably gonna have to call the AA, and you pull over, and it's Dan Stevens thumbing a lift, and he gets in mm. the car, and then, you 
you you have the opportunity to say, oh no, I forgot to tell you, Mr. Stevens, that the price to get to the next gas station is actually a really meaningful kiss. <laughs> Was that something you would do, or would you just let him get in and drive him there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably I could probably emotionally manipulate him into giving me a kiss. I suppose. Let's see why not. Yeah, it must be it must be really hard to like act. To perform the actions if you're winding down the window and complain about the lack of power steering in your car, whilst also <laughs> tricking him into falling in love with you at the same time. I love the way you assume my Nissan Micra was made in 1986. <laughs> I don't know anything about cars. Um, 2014, mate. 1.2. <laughs> <laughs> Has he got a joke? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um. I did you, like, have, if you, you have you genuinely got a Nissan Micra? I have got Nissan Micra, yeah. Oh god, I just chose a I didn't think you were joking. I don't even know no. if that's good or bad. I just chose a brand. Oh, it's <laughs> just deeply average, to be honest. It's not in my existence. Um <laughs> It's just a microcosm of myself, really. Um, what was the elevator this part? Grey and mediocre. <laughs> a bit dated. Um but so, enough about my swollen testicles. <laughs> Um, well, as you've just done a two-minute trashing, I might as well do one myself and talk about Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. Can, can I just say that I did not even know. I've got the Lawnmower Man game on Mega Drive. I'm not going to lie yeah. to you, it's not very good. But I did not know they made a sequel to Lawnmower Man. Yeah. I'm glad of my notes on this one because I don't really... I, I, I wouldn't remember the nuanced details. I won't lie. It's an, it was made in 1986. 1996. Um, sequel to the 1992 VR movie, obviously. This one's about a, a company that reconstructs Job from the first movie, and then they use him to help build the ultimate computer chip, which will give them world domination. The, 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 the Amiga sound chip. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> didn't the Amiga, all the Amiga chips had like female names, didn't they? Yeah, it was like Susan, Agatha. It genuinely was. like <laughs> Julianne Moore. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Julianne Moore. Um, <laughs> it was Alexander Skarsgård. Um, so anyway, obviously they lose control of Job, and he's kind of a AI megalomaniac, I guess, and he intends to take control for himself. Uh, now the founder of VR, played by Patrick Bergen, obviously, uh, he knows a way to stop Job by entering the VR matrix and activating a dam that will stop him from stop his power from being realized she teams up with a bunch of kids who look like they stepped off the set of uh man max beyond thunderdome and he also joins up with his ex-lover and they set about infiltrating this company facility to take down job i keep mentioning the name job it's actually subtitled job's war on the stream as well by the way it's not called beyond cyberspace different name different name so anyway it's set in the future fisher price blade runner future la <laughs> And well, I, do you know what? I love those hamsters. <laughs> uh, when they passed away. Um, in terms of future tech, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Now, virtual reality was big when the first film came out. But in 1996, no, it was not. And mm. the complete absence of mobile phones, but a total proliferation of public video phones is interesting. <sighs> the use of mini CDs. I guess it's not that outrageous, I suppose. Um, the central premise of the bad guy causing havoc by messing with connected systems like rail controls makes some sense, uh, even if it is 
wrapped up in talk of jacking into the literally someone says jacking it's oh i'm going to jack into the information superhighway in this film (sighs) it's stunningly badly made so it's like a euphemism for sex and also (laughs) people people who uh use public telephones these days they don't have steady income they don't every time you see they're using it for a purpose they're using it for a purpose that is untraceable. They're <laughs> using it to make contact with someone that will supply them with something that they can't afford. Well, possibly whose full name they don't know. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Awfully made film. Terrible camera work. Terrible editing. Pacing. Just, yeah. Clearly, consciously redesigned as like some sort of Amblin-style family adventure. Yet it really struggles to tell a simple story. Characters just turn up in places, and and only then will they explain why they're there. Like they arrive at this facility, and like they start peering through the gates, and then someone will just say, "Oh, let's get in there and steal the blueprints." And it's like, well, there was no lead up to them. They no one. There wasn't a scene beforehand saying, "Let's steal the blueprints." It's like. They've turned up in this place and then they say, Ah, oh, let's now steal the blueprints and thing. There's a basic continuity errors in there, like there's a moment when she like she parks by this road tunnel with the car facing one direction, then she gets out and it's facing the other direction. Um there's the logic... car, can you can you remember the brand? Oh I wanna say Nissan the, was it <laughs> Nissan my, 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 my car. <laughs> Um <clears throat> Obviously, it's I set in the future, so it's a 2014 Nissan Micro 1.2. Um, I can't believe I guessed your car. That's amazing. <laughs> there's, yeah, failures in, like, logic. Uh, like, uh, there's a scene where, like, one guy, a female scientist, and a literal child defeat a corridor full of heavily armed security guards. Um, the way that the woman is, this ex-lover, is utterly opposed to Patrick Bergen being back in her life and then suddenly decides to leave her entire existence behind and go with him and his weird lost boys with no apparent prompting whatsoever. Um, Matt Frewer, AKA Max Headroom, takes the place of Jeff Fay this time around and he has some Jim Carrey-esque fun guiding us in the VR world. But Patrick Bergen, who of course was the one in Sleeping with the Enemy, is that the one? Yeah. The, what is called the one with um julia roberts yes who's he's miscast as the roguish hero he dresses yeah, up like jack sparrow and he looks there ridiculous. was there was sleeping with the enemy and then there was the sequel standing fully awake next to your mates if i remember <laughs> yeah it wasn't quite as interesting or dramatic was it um yeah so anyway first film First Lawnmower Man wasn't exactly much cop itself, but it did have like quite a bonkers performance by Jeff Fahey. And it had Pierce Brosnan's charm, of course. And it had some shonky but iconic uh, like visual effects. But this is just incoherent crap. Years late for the VR party. And it looks worse than some PS1 cutscenes. So really don't bother. Someone hasn't played... LAPD Cop 2000. Um, I, do, I, no, I noticed that Matt Frewer and Austin O'Brien are in this. Right. Who's Austin you know, O'Brien? What, what do you mean who's Austin O'Brien? This is you. What, you stupid man. He was the child in Last Action Hero. Oh, of course, yeah. A kid, yeah. So that's it, is it? That's all you've got to yeah. say about Austin O'Brien? That's probably what his agent's got to say as well. Oh, yeah, that kid. Probably. Yeah. 
Let's have a look. Let's have a look. I said that kid, that 45-year-old man. Yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, I wouldn't say his career really took off as such after that. (laughs) (laughs) He was in the first Lawn Mower Man as well. I don't remember that. He's in My Girl 2. Oh, my God, look at his hair. It's so 1994. Apollo 13A, actually. You say that he didn't. It didn't take off. Oh, he's in Touched by an Angel. Well, you say Apollo 13. O'Brien does not actually appear in the film. It's not really, so it shouldn't really and, and yeah, then, and, should it? And, I mean, if you're going to list everything that he's not in. Um, yeah, my list would be long. Um, the From 2009, I can't click on anything. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. There's, there's that. nothing blue on Wikipedia. Um, by the way, uh, you're you Nissan Micra. Um, there's a website called IMCDB, which is the International Movie Car Database. <laughs> I didn't know about this. I was just as you were chatting then, I, I was looking at it. And it's amazing. So you type in a car brand and it tells you all the movies and TV shows it has turned up in. And, and your Nissan Micra has turned up in A Touch of Frost. And also Postmortem, the one with Charles Sheen I reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Albert Pian, yeah, set in Ireland where everyone's Scottish. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So, you can, so we'll have to, you know, any any car buffs, if, yeah. if you, you know, if you want to email us at the men who talk at outlook.com and say, you know, what movies is a, I don't know, 2002 Grey Mondeo been in, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> see what we can rustle up. Excellent. Imagine if you, you, it always amuses me with um, people who've got like this sort of um, a really extensive knowledge of, like uh, football is a big one. People can talk about, you know, who was subbed at certain times and scores from certain matches and players from yonks ago and different clubs and stuff. And it's the same with cars, the same with anything, I guess, if you get into mm-hmm. it. But can you imagine lying awake trying to think of a film from 2001? They're like, oh, what was it? It was a bloody Peugeot 208. <laughs> It was uh, it was turquoise. What was the film again? What was the episode of A Touch of Frost that was in? I, I, <laughs> so yeah, if you've ever lain awake thinking about which car was in a certain episode of Touch of Frost, by all means get in touch with us. We can we <laughs> can't all been there. We all that all had those sleepless nights. <laughs> um, <laughs> Try to remember when that Burgundy Ford Mondeo. What was it? Touch of Frost or was it Silent Witness? I can't remember. <laughs> oh God, was it Prime Suspect or was it? <laughs> bloody doc martin um so i am um, nine series nine series of a man with large ears looking at a coast i mean come on um i see so yeah, i've got a couple more to do i just wanted to do a quick tmt on the aristocrat the aristocats and lady and the tramp okay. and just to say that i watched lady and the tramp first and the lady and the tramp is i think it's 1955 mm. And um, it's a typical, you know, everyone knows the Lady of the Tramp, Disney, boom, on Disney Plus, and it, it, she, yeah, dogs, she she leaves, she gets involved with a load of ruffians, and then come back, and everyone's happy. I found it, like, really pleasant. It was really yeah. brief. It was a brief film. It was quite fun and pleasant. Um, the Aristocats was made in 1970, so it's 15 years later, but the animation style is, oddly seems more dated. It's yeah. much thicker lines and 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 the way that the uh, the movement is drawn is is almost as if you can s- almost like a flick book feel um mm. and it makes it feel oddly more dated i the only reason i mention these two films is because there were two sequences in the aristocats that genuinely made me laugh out loud 
and I did not expect to laugh at a 1970 Disney film. The, f- the first is when, because the whole sort of thrust of the plot is that the butler is trying to kill the cat so he can get the inheritance. But at the start, the lawyer turns up and he's fiercely old. And there's this, I love physical comedy, and there's a sequence where he's just, he's obviously like refusing his age and he's walking up the stairs. And the butler's sort of surreptitiously helping him up the stairs without without the guy knowing he's actually being helped and he's like sort of going up some steps and like dropping things and falling back down and turning around and and he's talking the whole time and it's actually like really impressive physical comedy and the second bit that made me laugh out loud is when the, the butler has got the cats in a bag and he's taking them off to drown them and he's on he's on like this old motorbike and it's constantly backfiring but he's got this deadpan face on as he's driving over these hills towards the river to drown the cats. And every time his motorbike backfires, his hat flies up from the air, lands back on his head. <laughs> and and it, But it happens at like really constant but really irregular intervals with this sort of sad music over it and just showing him driving with like a totally dead set expression as if he's not acknowledging his hat. It's just flying up and down on his head. I was laughing um but yeah the whole the, beyond that then it's just the typical sentimental stuff but it really is the first 15 minutes of the aristocats is genuinely like laugh out loud funny so i thought i'd mention those two things i got two movies left one's a documentary and it's back over to you my beautiful co-host um yeah i remember that it reminded me when you're talking about um how like the 70s film looking worse than the earlier yeah. film um, I was trying to work out why that would be, and uh, it reminded me that they, I know that Disney did get lazy in their mid period before the Renaissance in the nineties. I remember before example, Black Cauldron. <laughs> exactly, that's when it really began. Um, no, um, because I think it was in was it in the Robin Hood, their version of Robin Hood reused a bunch of animation animations from Jungle Book. I think it was that. And I've seen them side by side. You can see them side by side. It's like literally the same animation, but just overlaid with different character art sort of thing. That's how lazy it got. But Robin Hood is one of my favorite Disney films. Oh, it's still brilliant. Yeah, I think it was Robin Hood. Um, Yeah, but also I think probably with those early animations as well, possibly the technology, the way they did it, I'm guessing it would be painstaking. They would be hand painting every frame, wouldn't they? And I think if you look at like something like Snow Imagine, White, like one of the animators from the time of the forties, he took so slow, so so such hard, slow sludgy going that like you go in and you get like a paintbrush. You go in at seven in the morning, you sit there in total silence and you're in like a really highly illuminated desk, just elevated, sit there with a single bristle on a brush, just daintily doing something. And then it would eight hours would pass and you'd go home and your wife would say, "Oh, dinner's ready, darling. What did you do?" And you'd have to say, "Fuck all." <laughs> I painted someone's <laughs> cuff. It took me all fucking morning. <laughs> I remember um, I went to see a band. Uh, well, it, it used to be in Porcupine Tree, a, a, a solo artist called Stephen Wilson. And he was on the tour. He was playing stop motion video. 
Um, and it was all done by one woman. It's a beautiful video, and it's obviously completed now. But at the time, he said, oh, we've edited together the footage we've got. But he said, I just want you all to bear in mind as we play this song that the um, the sort of backdrop, the footage, that stop-motion animation, you know, it takes 40 years to get two seconds worth of usable footage. <laughs> and, it, and he said it in this really – he's from, like, Leighton Buzzard or something. Yeah. It's just this dry accent. I thought, yeah, I can't, when you watch stop-motion, because I watched a bit of Chicken Run, and you think – I can, I can see the craft and it's yeah. not often that happens when you're watching something you think I can see how long this must take yeah um, like I think I think those old animation I've got to say like the very the older Disney films they don't seem to date as much as the mid-period ones I wouldn't say when I you say mid-period what, what, what are you referring to I'm thinking to? like 60s 70s i guess okay. uh like i'm thinking the early because like stuff like dumbo and like snow white they are beautiful they almost look like especially in the case of snow white that looks like it's been painted over like actual footage sort of thing the way that she moves and stuff so it does look incredible i think cg nearly, dates, nearly 100 years old now by the way it's, astonishing, it's, it's still gorgeous yeah it is unbelievable i think cg dates Definitely, because if you rewatch like the original Toy Story and stuff, it's like, yeah, it's just a little bit clunky, isn't it? It doesn't have the personality. Uh, so, but I don't know, maybe we've reached the point where CG, because you watch CG from like 10 years ago and it really looks mostly indistinguishable from CG from today, really. So anyway, let's talk about Halloween Ends, which I watched on Rakuten, the worst streaming service. Okay. This is the final part of David Gordon Green's sequel trilogy. Before you carry on, I just want to say that I the the, the original Halloween, like not the original, you know, the, this the, the original of this new trilogy, I really enjoyed. Okay. And then I believe you went to like the Angel Hotel or something to watch the sequel with with our friend Alex, and you, you were both underwhelmed. I liked it. I'm not sure he did. I liked it. And then, yeah, so the, I will watch all three. I, okay. I'm you just, not, I'm, not, you've I'm, only seen the 2018? Yeah. Okay. So you haven't seen Kills or Ends. Okay. No. So I'm really looking <clears throat> forward to this. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on it. Well, this is, uh, yeah, and I, hopefully I can deliver some retrospective comments about the trilogy as a whole. But yeah, this one's set four years after Kills. And. Laurie Strode, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously, and her granddaughter are living a more peaceful and more public life. Uh, the life of a boy, a young man named Corey, is less peaceful. He accidentally kills a child while babysitting, and now he's basically a prior in the community. So uh, Laurie's granddaughter and Corey meet, and they bond over dealing with grief basically however Corey also meets a strange masked man in the sewer uh who may or may not be michael myers um so it's like so Corey is kind of like in dealing with this grief uh, and this trauma and this guilt it's like it's sort of like does he accept the healing hand of laurie Stroh's granddaughter or does he go down the evil path of michael myers there's a lot going on in this movie i'd say it's probably too much character development for 
100 minutes. It's like it's 40 minutes before we even see Michael Myers in this film. Uh, I think the central romance part isn't completely convincing. Like, I, I think the relationship between Laurie's granddaughter and this young man, the ease with which the granddaughter dismisses Laurie seems unlikely given all that these women have shared over these three films. Uh, and just like with Kills, I think uh, Halloween Kills, David Gordon Green is really good at building atmosphere. He's not so good at portraying a sense of a coherent community. It's all, it goes straight to like mobs. He doesn't, he can't capture the little idiosyncrasies to kind of paint a picture of the community, uh, which is a bit disappointing. But I do admire, I really admire the fact that David Gordon Green has made each of this trilogy very distinct. He could have made three slashes of just like increasing scope and more kills each time. But if anything, like this one has a unique theme. And and if anything, it's more intimate than Kills was. It's lower, smaller scale. And there's this theme of like two opposing methods of dealing with grief. Like, do you give in to the rage sense of injustice or do you process the pain and go and find peace elsewhere so it is about something and it's like basically laurie strode and Corey, this kid they embody these two impulses in a way so he becomes this sort of lumbering vessel for the evil of michael myers while laurie writes a book about her experiences and she's literally looking for a final chapter in her life uh specifically with will Patton and his strangely gentle voice so that's quite a, a nice little touch. He's uh, he's in the, he's in the bar as well, isn't he? Really? Yeah, I think so. Just to just to say stuff over the tannoy, really. Uh, yeah. Or do some, some spoken word poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does feel a bit overstuffed for a hundred minute movie, uh, and because of, there's a certain amount of psychological gymnastics required to reformulate the central relationships. It does take a while to hit his stride. But I prefer this like ambition to the alternative, which is just to jack up the violence. And I think the last act in this film, which of course involves Laurie facing up to the shape um, and having the showdown is a satisfying conclusion. Uh and I, to be honest, overall, I'd say the trilogy is about as good as we could expect. I think Halloween as a franchise has always been a pretty thin premise and the sequels have mostly been terrible, except H2O, of course, which is underrated. But uh, yeah, I think David Gordon Green did not go with backstory, which is good, because if you remember the Rob Zombie Halloween it's a good thing that he did not go with backstory. He went with exploring trauma and grief on different scales, so on a personal scale, but also on the kind of scale of the town, a, a community, which is fair enough. And he's taken a, a mythic monster and explored the darkness within Laurie Strode without resorting to bullshit stunt script writing by like making making him her brother. Uh Making him, yeah, brother, yes. Um, and I think we should applaud David Gordon Green for that because it was a very, very difficult balance. And I think he pulled it off. I think it's a good trilogy. And this ends it nicely. Do you think you'll watch the three straight through again? I would watch them again because, yeah, I mean, they're different. 
I, I like how different they are, but also how they are ultimately are about something, which is about like dealing with grief. So, yeah. I mean, what I mean is, is let's let's face it, the original Halloween. Well, think about the first Halloween films. You got the classic original, and you got the trashy second film, which introduced the brotherhood part and then you had number three which wasn't even a halloween film it just like it was a horror film with tom atkins where they just tacked tacked on the halloween brand so it's better than that anyway i feel like this could be um homework crash maybe to sit down and watch all three films in one go that's that'd be absolutely fine i'd have no problem with that so I'll just wait till you get the German Blu-rays in. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's me. I've got one more film to discuss, and then I am done for this week. Well, I'm I'm the same actually. Okay, that's good. good. Um, let me just make a single note there. Um, just thinking about Jamie Lee Curtis for the future Arkans though, because she's mm-hmm. featured it featured in two films this week with us. Um, because okay. obviously she was in the. Um, Everything, everything ever all at once. Um, so t- two quick things. I watched, um, well, I kind of, I'm going to include this. I didn't watch it, but it was on whilst I was in the room. MH370, The Plane That Disappeared. Oh, yes. The documentary that everyone's talking about on Netflix, I think it is. And Everyone's talking about it. Is it a water cooler moment? It is. It is, Rupert. It's, it's a water cooler moment. Uh, I remember watching... I was ill. I remember I was ill a few years ago. I think it was during COVID, and I, but it wasn't COVID. And I was lying there going, oh, I wish I was dead. There was a show on because my friend um, was talking about how much she loved watching Unsolved Mysteries. Mm. So I went through a phase of watching different shows. And one of them, I, I think I mentioned this in one of the early episodes of the podcast, where it was hosted, it was narrated rather by Danny Glover. And you couldn't understand a word he was saying. So it start off right. So say it was called um, unsolved unsolved kills or something like that, and it would show like a wheat, uh, like a town and then a wheat field, and Danny Glover would come in, and and she would watch looking in the field and he'd go, it's just go and then it would cut to someone going to school, and you think, "Oh, hang on, <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't quite up to speed there." <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure yeah. what I meant to infer from these so-called words. Um, and but so this this was I, I, that, and then I watched a couple of others, and it ranged from not actually knowing what was being said, thanks Danny Glover, through to someone walking out of a wood and saying, "Oh, Susie Quattro was walking home one day." And they found a ribbon on the floor, and no one knows what happened. Years, ninety minutes of people saying they haven't got a clue what's going on, and that was the that was the top end of it, if you know what I mean. So, when when facing, I'm watching this thing that it's been suggested to me. It, it's a plane that was in Malaysian airspace disappeared. Boom, no one knows what happened to it, and it's split over three episodes, each like forty five to fifty minutes long. It's on Netflix, and it's basically three separate conspiracy theories and. It, I just 
struggle with these things because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's no resolution and 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 I sh- what really bothers me is that audio design is when it's sort of like twinkle twinkly twinkly and someone said oh yeah so it, it took off and it was flying over then it disappeared and the music will go <laughs> and then it'll cut to someone lit like they're working they're working in an office for the government but they can't afford to pay the electricity bill, so they just lit uh, up on the laptop screen, and they're like yeah. sort of furrowing their brow, and then they're, they're looking at like Venn diagrams of my interest in this show, and and, <laughs> and I, so they're not just like that's like really really like garishly lit by ferocious fluorescent lighting, because that's the reality of working in an office, isn't it? Yeah, 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 to the point that you get like a tension headache by about four o'clock. But there's another, there's another hour and three quarters to go. Don't you worry about that. And squinting doesn't solve anything. And so they, they're suddenly like firing at these like the like Gantt charts and whatever, and and just like blurting out these conspiracy theories and f- random facts in the com- and some that contradict each other throughout the whole thing. So you really get the sense there's no actual through line of truth. And right. and it's just three three separate narratives and there's no resolution to them and it finished and I thought this is why this is why I don't watch these things it's effectively the plane that disappeared the fridge that wouldn't shut <laughs> the window that whistled it's just all <laughs> they sound like conspiracy yeah. novels but it's it's just there's no it's designed to to hope, hope that you'll go to work. And yeah. someone else would have seen it and say, oh, I don't know what happened to you. No. And that is everyone's conversation. Yeah. I don't know so, what happened. Neither did you. Neither did, neither the did they. So, so why does anyone bother? Let's not bother talking about it. And that's why <laughs> let's not bother. Do you know what happened? You no. Do I know what happened? No. Let's no. not bother talking about no. it. Was there a resolution? No. Can we work out what happened? No. High five. Cl- cl- cheers the water cups together and then never talk about it again uh, and yeah and i just thought i'd probably watch more of these in the future but i just i don't know what people expect to get from them you know it's not uh, like a film where someone the what's that blue who cut his own arm off who was stuck in a crevice and or oh, you know the, yeah the one 120 one. hours or whatever but there's, there's, there's a story there there's but we the plane disappeared and then just saying on oh, this years two hours of people just guessing effectively yeah so, okay thanks um and then my super quick my last one operation fortune i think yeah. it's called uh, the subtitles like rudiger or something yeah you you know you said you turned it off right i, I didn't turn it off i just had it in the background it's it wasn't particularly it just didn't grip me well this is the whole thing because Aubrey Plaza is pretty, right? And Jason Statham, I actively fancy, and he's in the bar, and he is the one that, like, you have in in the Arkins bar, you have a laminated cocktail menu, mm. and then it's touchscreen, it's on an iPad. So when you touch a cocktail, mm. Jason Statham's voice reads out the ingredients in the title. That's where mm-hmm. he does the bar. <laughs> Specific role, <laughs> and yet expensive, but. So I'm actively in love with him. We're in a full-blown relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And I love the gentleman. I love the gentleman so much. Yep. I've watched it numerous, like multiple. I wouldn't say numerous. I've watched it three or four times because the, it, it's 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 a wonderful film. And Matthew McConaughey's hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. So it's got yeah, all that. Yeah. And when he takes that turn at the end, when his character turns and the true anger comes out, it's impactful, and yeah. you realise his true anger and depth of character. Watching Operation Fortune. 
I watched half of it with Faye, and then I, it was really late. I said, oh, let's go to bed. I want to watch this because Jason Statham's in it. Mm. And the next day, I thought, I'll rewind it, and I'll watch it. And I thought, no, I should. I could have watched it from the halfway point because it's just so kind of... Generic? Just, yeah, generic. And like, it just feels like yeah. nothing. And I was watching it, and I thought, right, you've got... You know, you watch... It's effectively a heist film, right? So yeah. you, you, you're watching it, and he's, he gets his uh, Aubrey Plaza. It's him, and and, and then it, you know he's sort of sniper, and, and then you've got Hugh Grant playing the same character. Effectively, he plays yes. in the gentleman, but not as funny. So he's, yes. he's, he's, he's that's that's two hours in total of him doing an impression of Griff Reese Jones, <laughs> and I thought, oh no, I wasn't like I didn't I wasn't tired or I wasn't drunk. I was just kind of not on board. Yeah. So I watched it from the start, and I thought, "Oh no, I don't. I remember this. I've just forgotten it." If you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of skipped to where he was and watched it. And uh, did you see the ending? I uh, e- e- yes, that right. means half watched it. Yeah. It's got an incredibly underwhelming ending. Incredibly yeah. underwhelming ending. Uh, I remember it were ending very suddenly. Yeah, because I thought, well, this is obviously a lead up to something else. There's like there's some sort of clever twist or some extra little motive, and it just and it just ends, and then there's a really embarrassing post credit sequence oh, with really? Josh Hartnett and Hugh Grant, yeah, and I thought this it's kind of trying to set itself up for a for a, a series, but this is, mm-hmm. I mean I love Jason Statham and do you know do you know when it comes to like the close combat sequences they're yeah. fine. But it felt it genuinely felt like a film that never got off the ground. No, and I think that it's because it's basically indistinguishable from like Mission Impossible or something. And it's like, but why, why, why do it? Like, it's not yeah. exciting to see exotic locations. You know, yeah, it's not 1962. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not. There's nothing in it which is feels fresh or new. It feel it felt. To me, like a uh, like it was completing a contract or something. I don't know whether the guy Richie has a contract with Amazon Prime or something. And he just had to knock something out, but it did. It didn't feel like anyone was there to deliver their best work. It, it felt like with a gentleman, which is a great film. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's twists and turns and characters, mm. three dimensional characters, and, and great edit. This felt like God, that was hard. I can do something easy now, <laughs> and and and, the, and it's done, um, and that's it. Like it yeah. doesn't. I, I oh, would it's much a classic rather have direct sequel like, to the gentleman. Yeah, it's like complexity does not equal depth. It's like okay, this is just just convoluted. Yes, did not enjoy that unfortunately, but uh, a pity because of the talent really, involved. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So what's your final movie? My final movie is Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I think might have just left Prime, possibly. I'm not sure, but it was on Prime. Uh, <clears throat> so this is 25 years after their last adventure, and Bill and Ted are living in San Dimas as has-been musicians, playing whatever gigs they can, uh, whilst they raise their carbon-copied daughters, Billy and Taya, and... They're trying to hold on to their marriages to the princesses. Uh, now, the daughter of Rufus travels through time to inform them that they have like hours to save the world by creating a song 
that will unite humanity. So off they go. They go time traveling to find out how to write the song. Uh, and meanwhile, the daughters travel through time to collect the greatest music- musicians in history to create the ultimate supergroup. So they'll get like Hendrix and Mozart, etc., and help their dads. Um, have you seen this, by the way? I- I'm embarrassed to say. Sorry, I'm just eating some chicken as you talk. So I haven't That's eaten fine. yet. I watched this yeah. and I didn't know what to say about it. Because okay. I just, I haven't seen the originals. And oh, I really? This and I thought, yeah. I, thought, oh. I, I don't know if the, like, all these callbacks and stuff. And I think oh, that, must be, just... that might be an interesting uh, perspective then, because I, I watched the originals a lot when I was a kid. Um, oh, okay. And I think I'd say that the premise of going through time and putting together the perfect band is quite brilliantly obvious in retrospect. And I found this film surprisingly charming and contagiously optimistic and it's got some very simplistic messaging in it but um it doesn't i don't think it revels in nostalgia and it doesn't mock the present it just says we live in a globally connected world with the potential to unite which is quite an important message um it's not a ridiculous or naive concept. I mean, humanity really does have more in common than it does in opposition. So, and music is a good way of uniting people. And I, I think the film is somewhat devoid of threat or conflict, despite the ostensibly high stakes, I'd say. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter pretty much pick up where they left off, albeit with slightly less energy. Uh, Keanu Reeves in particular looks oddly waxy in this film. I don't couldn't quite grasp that but they're essentially reprising their characters but i think the stars of the show were samara weaving and bridget lundy Payne as the daughters because they are kind of facsimiles of their fathers but also amusingly like incredibly knowledgeable students of music history so i i think it was quite a nice combination and i'd happily watch a sequel fronted by them the final piece of music to unite the world is this kind of sprawling multi-instrumental Mike Oldfield type epic which is kind of plausible I guess and yeah overall I think Face the Music is no better or worse than the first two from like 20-30 years ago which is to say no classic but very wholesome and positive <clears throat> high and five though in all fairness because when this came out I thought well yeah. I'll probably never watch this I haven't seen the original so I've got nothing no, no cars yeah. on the table but for you who have seen the originals many times to say, well, actually, this is the same. It's no classic, but it's good fun. That's yeah. kind of high praise, considering well, how, so. yeah. how it like, could have been a lot worse. And redundant. Yeah. Yeah. Think about how bad that could have been. I think it was a bit of a masterstroke bringing in the daughters into it and kind of having them carry a lot of it. Um, it has just this nice kind of wholesome old school energy. So, It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, because if you've not seen the originals, then this is probably quite baffling, really, because it's like, what is what is the appeal of these these two kind of? Well, yeah, when William Sadler turns up. I thought oh, that's when I that's when I turned it off because I thought well, this is <laughs> William Sadler. I need to I need to see the prequels. Yeah. Something of this. You really do, especially with the yeah, with William Sadler, because he was such a massive part of the second one. Um, but yeah, so there a lot of it, a lot of it. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't rely purely on lazy callbacks. I'd have it's to not, say. It's not. It's not a retread, then, is it? No, 
it doesn't feel that way. It's a new concept. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think it worked pretty well. I quite enjoyed it, just like I quite enjoyed the previous two. I, I'm I'm not going to comment on it till I've seen all three. I think because okay. I, yeah, I, I I when when they introduced William Sadler, that's when I said I well not said I just turned it off because I thought because you need to I make should, sense of that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I, I could follow the plot, but I thought I feel like I'm not. I need to watch the previous ones to get you know. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't just leap in and watch the Marine Four moving target, would you? You'd <laughs> Imagine to... that what kind of idiot would do that. <laughs> Well, what kind of idiot would choose the person to go through from the Arkansas? So I've chosen one already. But before I talk about what I've chosen, mm-hmm. we need to go through last month's uh, last episode's Arkansas. So people had to get from Linda Hamilton to Brandon Gleason. And when I get these emails and messages, <laughs> I thought, why does everyone keep spelling Gleason wrong? It's, you know, G-L-E-A-S-O-N, but it's, that's Jackie Gleason. That's <laughs> Brendan <laughs> is double E, so everyone's right yes, and I'm wrong. Yes, yes. Um, so we had a message from Ben that said, here comes the two-stepper. Linda Hamilton was in the Terminator. No, honestly, she was. It was only a little cameo, but if you look hard, you'll see her. <laughs> with Bill Paxton, who was in Edge of Tomorrow, with Brendan Gleason. That's correct. I might well, as well say now that's exactly what I've got. Oh, really? So it was Terminator yeah. to Edge of yeah, Tomorrow? Well, I said Brendan Gleeson's Edge of Tomorrow with Bill Paxton, who's in Terminator with Linda Hamilton. Yes, it was quite easy in the end. Well, you'd be pleased to know that Laszlo, our occasional co-host but constant lover, says, Ooh, I've got a two-stepper. Brendan Gleeson was in Edge of Tomorrow with Bill Paxton, who was in Terminator with Linda Hamilton. No. Even a little emoji of an explosion. Utah Smith says, anyway... Down to the nitty gritty, Linda Hamilton to Pierce Brosnan in Dante's Peak, to Brendan, I'm amazing and everything. I touch and look at Gleason in Riverdance, and then in brackets, which is a shit animated film. That's a three stepper from Utah Smith. And Max in a last minute entry says, Linda is in Terminator with Bill Paxton, who is in Edge of Tomorrow with Gleason. So that's four people who have said the same thing. So let's try and make the next one a little bit more complicated because, you know, people are getting too good at this, basically, in yeah. the Ark and stuff. So I've decided to choose Jamie Lee Curtis because, obviously, she was in two films we mentioned this week, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which was The Halloween Ends and uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I like more than you. So I've chosen Jamie Lee Curtis, and I, I'd like you to choose the opposing force. What are you feeling? I'm, I'm looking at Chris Pine. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking, I don't remember them being in a film together. <laughs> so that's, as long as we get that little hurdle out of the way. So, Jamie Lee Curtis to Chris Pine. Is that what you feel? Oh, really, that's what you're going for, is it? I think that's... Uh, I is he like still, that's... in Dungeons and Dragons, yes. does he still look like a waxwork of himself? Yes, pretty oh, much. It's so bizarre, isn't it? It's it so is bizarre. weird. Yeah, he is. It looks like he's been reconstituted many times. I think he may be Clayface from the Batman comics. When you mentioned, um, uh, what was it, the, the waxiness of, of Keanu Reeves, yeah. it reminded me of when I watched Full Proof with Ryan Reynolds, and he's just 
like a self waxwork being moved around the set. And you think, why? What is it? It's, it's obviously like a makeup and lighting thing. It's, bizarre, yeah, it's a bizarre know. choice. It's just certain films with certain actors. I don't know what it is. Because we spend so much time looking at like Keanu Reeves' face in like John Wick, say. And he looks very lived in. Like He just looks like a middle-aged guy just having a rough time, really. Fine. But then you watch like Bill and Ted and it's like he's weird, soft focusing, like they're trying to make him look the age he was in the originals. But whilst acknowledging the fact that he is 25 years older, so it doesn't really make any sense. Hmm. But anyway, I think maybe it's the lack of beard. Maybe that's what makes a difference. Maybe he really does have weirdly smooth skin under that beard. Yeah. What he needs is a big grey beard and eyes that look like they've seen death. That's what he needs. He used to look like Sam Neill then, really, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so the next Arkansas story is Jamie Lee Curtis to Chris Pine. And, uh, Rupert, I just need you to close your eyes mm. and just imagine uh, that you are a Olympic gymnast and you're just about to do that weird little run before they do the sort of flip and you, and you do a flip. <laughs> And and then you bounce and you do an Arab spring and then you do a back flip and a front flip again and then you do a triple somersault and as you land there's someone in front of you. Someone you haven't seen before but they look vaguely familiar. And then they go to open up their hand and you say to them, Are you holding a fiver? <laughs> and then you realise that something's just fallen out of your bum and they say, no, why, why would I be holding a fiver? And you look down between your legs and there's a fiver on the floor. Just fell out your bum. <laughs> <laughs>